Well, good evening, everyone. It is uh, great to be back in the book of Acts again this evening. Do open that up if you've got uh, a Bible with you, back to Acts um, chapter 2. As for each of us, um, individually, one day runs into the next day, into the next day, into the next day. Life, it can be hard, can't it, to lift our eyes out of the small world that we begin to create and think about the bigger picture of what is going on around us. We become so easily wrapped up, don't we, in the small, day-to-day things of life that often we forget that sometimes there is something bigger going on that we are actually a part of. Not, of course, that the small day-to-day things of life don't matter. Of course, they absolutely do. But the truth is that remembering that there is something bigger going on in our lives and in the world around us, well, that helps us. It strengthens us in the regular day-to-day, doesn't it? It helps give us purpose. As our alarm goes off again tomorrow morning, what are we getting up for? As we head off into the day, what are we hoping for? And seeing this bigger picture, well, it should help encourage us as we head into that day tomorrow and the next day and the next day after that. And I think as we stop and consider the first half of Acts chapter 2 tonight, we're going to see something of this bigger picture, this bigger picture that should strengthen us for our day to day. Strengthening us as we step back and see that our faithful God is accomplishing his purposes. He's accomplishing his purposes in the wider world. And if you're a Christian here this evening, he is accomplishing his purposes in you and through you. We forget that so quickly, don't we? That if we are trusting in Christ this evening, God is at work in us. And we're going to be reminded of exactly that this evening. And it's my prayer that as we consider this momentous day of Pentecost, each of us can be strengthened in our faith as we see again our faithful God, what he is doing, and as we're reminded that he has come to live in us. So let's get into our um, text for tonight. And we're going to be uh, looking tonight, as it were, at Pentecost part one. Um, up to verse 21, the Spirit's coming, and then the beginning of Peter's explanation of what's happened. And then over the next couple of weeks, we'll see parts two and parts three as well. And as we here pick up in verse one, we're picking up from last week, right? And here we, or two weeks ago, as it were, we see the faithful community. If you look in verse uh, chapter two, verse one, we see the faithful community of 120 believers or so once again meeting together. We read that when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. The disciples waiting, as we saw them before, presumably praying, continuing to wait for the promised Holy Spirit. And we're told it's Pentecost, which is one of three Jewish pilgrimage feasts, a feast of weeks or a first fruits of the harvest, which we'll be thinking a little bit more about next week as well. It comes 50 days after Passover, and there they are praying. And then suddenly, verse 2, 
There came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Just picture it. What an experience that must have been, right? Imagine you're just sitting and praying, maybe in your house or in your office or in your workplace, wherever it might be, and boom! Suddenly, out of nowhere it seems, your world just gets turned upside down. There's noise, there's fire, and then everyone around you starts speaking in languages that you didn't know they knew. And you're speaking in a language that you didn't know you knew. You almost couldn't write this, could you? Imagine in a movie script, the director or the people uh, thinking and looking at the script, now it's too far, isn't it? That wouldn't happen. But this is what we're told happens. This first Pentecost, the Spirit comes and it changes everything for these disciples. So what's happening here? What are we meant to understand of what went on here back at, back at the time and also for us today? Well, we're going to try and get into that by seeing, as we look at this passage, three ways, as it were, that the Spirit comes. First off, we're going to see that the Spirit comes dramatically. As we've already said, this scene is the height of drama, and I think each element of the drama here helps us to see and know that God is now dwelling with his people. God is dwelling with his people. See there, first off in verse 2, the sound. The sound comes from heaven, the same heaven where Jesus has just ascended to and is now reigning. The Spirit comes from heaven and not from anything here on earth. And then notice what the sound is like. It's described like a mighty rushing wind filling the entire house. And here we need to see that often in the Old Testament, it, the wind is a clear mark or sign of God's work and his presence. If you were with us uh, on Wednesday in the prayer meeting, we saw something of this in Ezekiel chapter 37 and the valley of dry bones that Steve was pointing us to, where we read there that breath comes from the four winds and those that were slain, they're made alive. And think of 1 Kings chapter 19. Do you remember that, that image of Elijah there in the cave? And what does he witness? A great, strong wind that tears the mountains and breaks in pieces the rocks before the Lord. The Lord was coming to Elijah. And so here, this sound of a mighty, rushing wind points us to what is happening. God is coming. And of course, the tongues of fire. We think, don't we, fire, we think of the burning bush, a sign of God's presence and his holiness as he meets with Moses. And later, in Exodus chapter 19, we read that Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire. The presence of the Lord, holy, majestic, pure, it is so often associated with fire. And so it is here, with every believer, a tongue of fire comes to rest on them. This is the one 
true, holy, majestic God coming to dwell with his people. As we take this scene in, what does it mean for us today? Well, first of all, I think the wind and the fire and and all they represent of the glory, majesty, and holiness of God, well, that's something we need to take to heart. We need to think of our God. Our God who has come to dwell with us is not some kind of fluffy, cuddly toy, like the one that you had, remember, when you were a child, you carried them around, cuddled them, tucked under. This, was, this is no Cuddles the Bunny or Boo Boo the Bear. This is the everlasting God, the maker of all things. As we'll read in Daniel chapter 4 in a few weeks' time in the morning, this is the most high God. How great are his signs, how mighty his wonders. And this is the God who has come to live in us by his spirit. And so, yes, well, God, of course, is the God of all comfort, and he gently and compassionately cares for his people. We need to also consider his glory and his holiness. When we forget this is who is dwelling in us, we lose sight of so much, including, I think, the severity of our sin. Remember, in the New Testament, we are called as Christians not to grieve the Holy Spirit, remembering that our body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. Our holy God is living within us, and we should seek to honor and please him with all of our lives and words and deeds as we remember that. He knows all that we do and say. And the other thing is that forgetting that our God is dwelling with us also makes us lose sight of the strength and help that can give to us. We're going to think in much more detail in a little bit about the Spirit's empowering of us later on. But even just taking time to remember that God, the God who made the heavens, who made the stars, the mountains, the seas, he is with you and in you if you are a Christian this evening. That should really encourage us. That's pretty amazing, isn't it? Often, people in the world around, don't they? They like to talk of God, if they talk of him at all, like he is some distant being. But no, this is our mighty God who dwells with us. He has come to us. And that is good news for us to take with us into the rest of our weeks. So we've seen in these opening verses the Spirit coming dramatically, showing us that God is dwelling with his people. Let's now also see in these verses that the Spirit comes universally. We can know that God is dwelling with all his people. As we see this, look with me at verses 3 and 4 again and see there that the tongues as of fire, it's described, rested on each one of them. And then in verse 4, we read that they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And this repeated emphasis is purposefully there. And it's really important if we're going to understand what is happening here as the Spirit comes. Where in the Old Testament, we're often told that the Spirit comes specifically on prophets or kings like David 
certainly just to a minority of God's people as a whole. Here we see this dramatic shift in the scope of the work of the Holy Spirit. As God's people meet in this house or room or wherever it was, every single one of them receives the Spirit. Back in the Old Testament, of course, God had promised to do this. We'll see this in, the, in that unpacking of Joel a bit later on. And while in some ways Pentecost was this unique, unrepeatable event, equipping the apostles for their specific ministry, it also began a new era of the Spirit when all the people of God can always benefit from the Spirit in their lives because God is dwelling in each of them. Some Christians believe that after coming to a saving faith in Christ, we should then expect some kind of second baptism in the Spirit, when the the Spirit comes on us powerfully, a bit like here in Acts chapter 2. But they are missing the point. Acts chapter 2 and its description of the Spirit's coming is meant to demonstrate to us once and for all that we are now in this promised age of the Spirit when every believer will receive him into their lives. We'll come to this next week, but later in Peter's uh, speech, which uh, Yanni read the whole for us, in verse 38, maybe you saw it there, he, he calls for the people to repent at the end, doesn't he, and be baptized. And with this, if they will repent and baptize, Peter says they will receive two immediate and free gifts. They come together. The forgiveness of sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit. In fact, the truth is that none of us, apart from the Spirit's coming and working in our lives, would ever in the first place come to Christ. It is he who convicts us of sin and of our need of forgiveness. So if you are a Christian here this evening, if you have come to Christ, God, by his Spirit, is with you and in you just as he's with each and every other Christian here this evening. Again, how should we respond as we see this truth and what these verses are unpacking for us? Many ways, but first of all, I think we should praise our God. Praise our God that he has come to live in us. Our God has not left us alone. He is with us in every moment of our lives, in the heartaches and in the joys, in the mundane and in the extraordinary. Our God is with us, and we can praise him for that. And as we praise God daily, as we remember that truth, that then encourages us to persevere and press on in our faith and our walk with God, knowing that whatever comes tomorrow, he is there with us. And I think we should also respond to this by recognizing that this means that there is, as we look around, no class of Christians. Some with the Spirit, some without, some important, some less so. No, God gives his Spirit to every believer. He welcomes the young and the old, the rich and the poor, and he comes to dwell in us wherever we come from. I wonder if that is how we view others around us, as equal to us and equally precious to God with the Spirit of God living in them. 
I think if we have that mindset, if we remember that, that's going to change a lot of our interactions. How we speak with others, how we serve others, how we graciously and humbly meet together, remembering that we together are all coming to the same fountain of grace by the same Holy Spirit. So that's two things that we see as the Spirit comes in these opening verses of Acts chapter 2. Let's turn now to a third thing that I want us to see here. And that is that the Spirit comes powerfully. We can know that God is empowering us as his people to do his work. Already, hopefully, we've been strengthened and encouraged in our faith as we see God's continuing plan here as the promised Spirit has come. And now we see that there is something else or someone else who should also strengthen us as we seek the Lord, and that is the Spirit himself. Look with me again at what happens when the Spirit comes in verse 4. We read that everyone was filled with the Holy Spirit, and they begin to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gives them utterance. What's going on here? What's the purpose of these disciples suddenly speaking in these other languages? Well, it's so that they could go about doing the work that God had called them to do. It is empowering them. Look there in verse 5. We see that the setting here, right, is that there there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And then we read that because of the sound, presumably the sound of these early disciples all speaking in these languages, people start gathering. They come together. And there they are, verse 6. They're bewildered because each one of them was hearing them speaking in his own language. Again, quite the scene, isn't it? And in verses 7 to 8, the people, they can't understand what's going on. They say, what, what are these Galileans doing, speaking our languages. And we begin to see what's going on here if we then look at verse 9 as Luke carries on here. He gives us a clue through all this list of where these Jews who are here have come from. Now, Yanni did a great job reading all of these various peoples and names uh, earlier and lands. I'm going to leave those there. I don't think I can do it justice again. But here is a, here is a map, I think, that will help us to see something of the point here. It's, it's a little bit blurred, but hopefully it will give you an idea. This is, this is showing what is happening here. This is the diversity, first of all, of languages that were being spoken. And it also begins to show something of the fulfillment of what Christ has called his disciples to be. Witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. As you can see from the map, these Jews who either are now back living in Jerusalem or have traveled there for the feast of Pentecost, well, they're originally from all over. You might not make out all the names, but you can see there, they're coming from the north and from the south. They're coming from the east. They're coming from the west. Now, let's be clear at this point. They are, these are all Jews or proselytes, those who have converted to Judaism. So there isn't right here this good news going out to the Gentiles as such. But we have to see here the beginnings of that. 
inevitably, right? These people, well, what are they going to do? They're going to go back to their families, back to their peoples, back to their lands, and they're going to speak of the Lord Jesus Christ as Peter has spoken to them about him. So why have these disciples been empowered to speak in these languages? So that each person listening can hear of the mighty works of God. Look there in verse 11. That's what the disciples are doing. They are speaking of the mighty works of God. The disciples are being empowered to fulfill what Christ has called them to do, to be those witnesses to the end of the earth. They are telling of the mighty works of God. And the sense here is likely probably that they are just bursting forth in praise. Praise for God, to God for all that he's done. A bit like uh, in the beginning of Luke's account, in, back in Luke chapter 1, we read of Mary, don't we? Bursting forth, magnifying God for his work. Well, here, probably likely their disciples and the uh, first disciples and followers of Christ are doing exactly the same. And these people from Parthia, from Cappadocia, from Egypt, from Rome, from wherever they are, their ears are flooded with this praise, with the good news of the mercy of God, the grace of God through the Lord Jesus Christ. God, in a special way here, right at the beginning of his people going out to take the news of Jesus Christ, he is powerfully working through his spirit to enable them to empower them to do that as effectively as possible to as many people as possible. But there's also something else that the Spirit, I think, we see doing here to empower his people. If you look with me now at the example of Peter, verse 12, we read that all the people were amazed and perplexed, saying to another, what does this mean? But others, mocking, said they are filled with new wine. And then we read this. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them. And he goes on then boldly to proclaim and explain what is happening. This very first, almost as it were, Christian sermon, pointing people to Christ and what he has done for them. Now perhaps that isn't uh, shocking to us right now as we just think of this in this context, but actually this really is. Just think of who Peter is and what he has just done. We read back in Luke's first volume, in Luke chapter 22, that seeing the mistreatment and mocking of Christ, those who came against him, Peter, well, he turns his back on Christ. He denies him three times, presumably for fear that he would face the same treatment that the Lord Jesus Christ faced. And as a result, we read that Peter is broken. He goes out and weeps bitterly. But see here, what a transformation of the Spirit. As emboldened by the Holy Spirit, even in the face, it's right there in verse 13 of these mockers, people mocking. What does Peter do? He stands up. And he confidently and loudly proclaims Christ for all to hear. God is empowering Peter 
by his spirit to do his work, to be a witness for Christ. And the truth is that that is what the spirit continues to do for each of us today too. Sure, none of us are Peter, and we might be thankful that we didn't have the responsibility of preaching this very first sermon. But we likewise have been given the Spirit, and we have the responsibility and calling to likewise testify to our hope in Christ. And the Spirit helps us to do that. He emboldens us to speak in the first place, and then he also helps us to know what to say. Listen to what Jesus said to his disciples in Mark's gospel in chapter, 11, chapter 13, verse 11. He says, And when, you, when they bring you to trial and deliver you over, do not be anxious beforehand what you are to say, but say whatever is given to you in that hour, for it is not you who speak, but the Holy Spirit. I think we all desperately need to hear this encouragement this evening and be strengthened by it. Our God, by his spirit, has come to dwell with us and in us, and he has given us work to do. But we don't do that work in our own strength, in our own courage, stemming from this feeling of feeling fully equipped and ready to go. No, instead, we always do it in God's strength, by the spirit, knowing that we are weak and we cannot, we simply can't do it on our own. I personally find this a great encouragement. Tomorrow, I have been called to be a witness to Christ. And that kind of terrifies me, if I'm being honest. That means that tomorrow, as I open my door and head out to the car, I might be called to speak to my neighbor about the Lord Jesus Christ, or to the postman. Or as I go pick up Lydia Grace at the school gate at the end of the day, My calling is to speak of Christ. And the reality is that some of those that I'm I'm speaking with, they're not going to want to hear it. We see that example there in verse 13. If you're like me, you can already probably in your life think of hundreds of times when you feel like perhaps, well, God was opening a door for you to go and and speak about Christ, but you were too scared or, or worried and you backed out. Well, here's what our passage is saying to us this evening. Be encouraged and strengthened by Peter's example. We will not always get it right. We will miss opportunities. But God is with us and has promised to help us. He has given the Spirit to embolden us, to give us the words to say. So tomorrow at the school gate, what do I need to say? I need to say, God, I cannot do this on my own. Please, Holy Spirit, give me courage, give me strength, give me words to say. Help me to go out, do your work, God, of spreading the good news of Jesus to the end of the earth. Because that is the bigger picture that I have been called to be a part of. We see it here, and we're going to see it right the way through as we work through the book of Acts. The Holy Spirit, time and time again, works to push God's people into spreading the good news about Jesus. That is the great gift of the Spirit. As we see this, let's let's pray that we as a church here and as individuals would increasingly ask for and allow the Spirit to help us to do that, to tell more and more people about the good news of Jesus because he really is the best news that they will ever hear. 
And the truth is that in doing that, even some people will respond by mocking, like those in verse 13. But we can ask for God's help to not let that define us, but to go out doing this work. Now, in many ways, as we've been looking at this passage, we've been privileged because we kind of see this outside of you, don't we, of what's been going on. Luke's been helping us to see what's happening. But for those in the crowd at the time, they're still trying to work out what's happening, right? Look at, look at that question again in verse 12. The people are asking, what does this mean? So, hearing this question from the crowd, Peter now stands up and explains what the Spirit's coming means. And and I love this. We see here, first of all, what we have just been seeing, exactly the same truths, that God is dwelling powerfully with all his people. Look with me as we glance through these verses together at verses 14 to 21. First off, right, this is God at work and coming down. Peter makes this clear in verses 14 to 15. He says, listen, you need to understand this. These men, they aren't drunk. This is God at work. Verse 16, this is God at work just as he promised he would be in the book of Joel. Verse 17, this is God sending his spirit on all flesh. This is no man-made scene, Peter says. This is God coming to dwell with his people. Then, see with me here that this is God dwelling powerfully with all his people. Verses 17 and 18, we read, The Spirit will be poured out, poured out on all flesh. And the pouring out here, this, this verb that's used, is this, this pouring out that's a bit like a tropical rainstorm. I don't know if you've had this experience, right? You, you, you step out the door, and it's raining. And within two seconds, you are completely covered. That's the image here. This is God's generosity as he pours out his spirit on all people. And of course, we see that the spirit is poured out on all, no matter their sex. Verse 17, your sons and your daughters. We see that the spirit is is poured out no matter your age. Verse 17 again, your young men, and your old men. And we see that the Spirit is poured out no matter your class, no matter your background. Verse 18, even on my male servants and female servants. This is God pouring out his Spirit on all people, no matter who they are. And then finally, in Peter's words here, as he quotes from Joel, we see that this is God dwelling powerfully with his people. Notice there in verse 17 what the Spirit enables God's people to do. Prophesy. And that is, I think, given the context, this same empowering that we've just been talking about. An empowering of God's people to go and speak boldly, courageously, and clearly about their God. To speak about his works, to speak about his salvation. And then also, verse 17, God's Spirit enables people to see visions and dream dreams. And again, I think in the context here, this is showing that by the Spirit, God's people will be able to know God for themselves. In the Old Testament, it was the prophets, right, who dreamed dreams and saw visions. And they then revealed God to the people, but now the Spirit dwells in us. 
And so we can know God for ourselves as God lives in us. So Peter says to the crowd, you want to know what this all means? Look at Joel. Know that the Spirit's coming means that as we've already seen this evening earlier, God is now dwelling powerfully with all his people. But then as Peter quotes from Joel again here, he also leaves the crowd and us, I think, with one more thing explaining what the Spirit's coming means. And that is that we are in the last days before judgment comes. In verse 17, Peter has changed the beginning of the quotation there from Joel chapter 2, verse 28, from afterwards it shall be to what he says. He says, and in the last days it shall be. And what Peter is doing here is interpreting what is happening for all those who are there. He's saying, listen, Joel saw this moment back then that was to come, and now it is here. And as the Spirit has come, you need to know that we are well and truly in the last days. As Jesus came to earth, he began these last days, this new age of the kingdom of God. And now, with the coming of the Spirit, as was promised, there is nothing more now for God to do than to grow his kingdom here on earth and then to return in judgment. That, I think, is what's being pictured there in verses 19 to 21, if you look with me, as Peter continues to quote from Joel chapter 2. The Spirit has come, and so the last days are upon us. And as part of those last days, we don't know when we will see terrible and wonderful things. As Jesus himself predicted, right? And Joel here is using this apocalyptic, end-of-time language to emphasize this. Do you see the words there? Blood and fire and smoke. The sun turned to darkness and the moon to blood. These are terrible signs that the day of the Lord is coming. And as we look at the world around us, don't we see many of these kinds of signs? wars and rumors of wars and so much more. And so as we hear these words, we need, first and foremost, to be ready. We need to be ready for what Peter is describing here, the day of the Lord, when he returns. And how can we be ready? Well, above all, as verse 21 puts it, by calling on the name of the Lord. Because in these last days, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. This is the good news of Christ's coming. He has made a way for all to come to him, to find forgiveness and to receive the Holy Spirit. But the warning here is that one day, it'll be too late the day of the Lord, or our death, it will come. And then there will be nothing that we can do to stop the Lord's terrible judgment falling on us. It is only in Christ, sheltering in him and knowing him as Lord and Savior, that we see the wrath of God turned away from us and falling on Christ. So as we hear these words, let me ask you this evening, Have you personally called upon the name of the Lord? If you haven't, 
Why not? What's holding you back from running into the gracious arms of the Lord Jesus Christ? He is the only one that you will ever find who can give you eternal security and hope. If you're sitting out there or you're watching along online and you have questions, please come and ask them. Ask Steve, ask me, ask somebody who sat around you. We'd love to talk with you, but do not delay. The warning is here. One day it will be too late. Today is your day of opportunity in these last days. Come and call upon the name of the Lord, and you will be saved. And in this same way, for those of us who have already called upon the name of the Lord, and who have received the Holy Spirit, well, today is also a day of opportunity for us too. Remember, we said at the beginning that it is easy to lose sight of this bigger picture that we are all a part of. Well, here's the bigger picture we've been presented with tonight in Acts chapter 2. God has come by his Spirit to us, his people. And he is today continuing the same work that he was beginning those 2,000 years ago. He is empowering and using us as his people to be witnesses to Christ to the end of the earth. Tomorrow, as you wake up, as your alarm goes off, you are part of a bigger picture. But we don't know how long we will have One day the Lord will return. But until then, let's go into our days knowing our God goes with us. He is dwelling with us. And let's remember that this day we have good news to share. Good news that we are taking out to the world. That everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. I wonder who it is that God as part of his plan for your life, as part of this bigger picture, I wonder who he's going to put in your life this week to go and share that good news with. Let's pray as we close. Heavenly Father, we want to praise you for your mighty work. Lord, we praise you for the work of Christ that as we'll be turning to next week, as we carry on in this, in this sermon, Lord, we thank you for Christ and his saving work for us. And Lord, we thank you for your mighty work of sending your spirit to be with us, your people. Lord, thank you for the reminder that you dwell with us. Please, would that encourage us and strengthen us as we go on into the rest of our weeks, whatever those weeks will hold. And Lord, thank you that as your people, we are part of this bigger picture, this plan that you had set in motion 2,000 years ago, that your people would take the name of Christ to the ends of the earth. And Lord, thank you that you have given us the privilege of being a part of that. Lord, please, by your spirit, would you embolden us, empower us. Lord, would we Just lose a little bit of that fear of man and go out this week and speak of Christ to those that we'll meet. Because, Lord, there are so many out there who have not called on the name of the Lord. And that day of the Lord, when you return, will be a day of judgment for them. 
Lord, please, would you give us a love for our neighbor? Would you give us a passion for your name? Lord, help us to go out, but only, Lord, help us to go out in your power, by the Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to close this evening by singing this song, Holy Spirit, Living Breath of God, as we remember this great blessing that we have God dwelling with us and in us. Let's stand as the musicians begin to play. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all evermore. Amen.